I'd rather have angry Justin Bieber fans than angry hockey fans. Oh, speaking of just happy to be here, how about those Canadian teams in the playoffs, huh? When Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, that was like peak hate of the Warriors for me. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another special episode of the Expansion Buddies podcast. Uh, Part two we are on of our Jacksonville, Saxonville Jaguars mini series i am your co-host jared that's my co-host justin how's it going justin uh pretty good pretty good man it feels like we haven't talked for ages we really haven't we definitely are uh haven't talked since about five minutes ago right it's it's a good thing that this isn't a video otherwise you'd see that we're still wearing the same clothes true because we are we are recording this entire series for you guys all at once and are going to break it up into episodes later uh, but as, as far as you know, it's been a week since we've talked to each other and it yeah, has, don't, it's, don't, don't tell them how the sausage is made. Oh, true. I can't let them in on the family secrets. Uh, but it, it has been a week since we've talked to you wonderful listeners. Uh, so thank you for tuning back into part two of our little mini series here. Um, a brief recap, Justin, if you want to, for what we talked about last time and where we're going. Yeah. So. On the first episode of the rise and fall of Saxonville, we talked about the players. We set the stage. We hit names such as Yannick Ngakwe, Jalen Ramsey, Blake Bortles, and Leonard Fournette. And you'll have to listen in to get the full story before really diving into this. So if you missed last episode, check it out. But today we're going to be talking about the peak the the best that the Jaguars were have ever been in their franchise, have, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, make sure you listen to that first episode first. But let's get into it. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, Justin, we're going to be talking about the uh, the tippy top of the mountain here. Uh, essentially, the entire 2017 season for the Jags. I mean, they were front to back, probably. Uh, one of the best defenses. Well, not probably. They were one of the best defenses in the league. Um, had a pretty potent offense, too, to back it up, thanks in large part to Leonard Fournette, who uh, we talked about on the last one. But Fournette this season, he was – I don't know. You might be able to talk about Fournette much more than I can now that he's a bona fide Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Yeah, Leonard Fournette um... – in this 2017 season, he really showed his usefulness, his um, his uh, utility as Blake Bortles' relief valve, his secondary option. He wasn't only a good handoff option, but he was also someone that Blake could look to, you know, if things went sideways. And sometimes that happens. Um. As we talked about in the last episode, he rushed for over a thousand yards that season, had a lot of touchdowns, uh, and and also had some receiving touchdowns as well. But Blake Bortles was able to kind of thrive because he was not the spotlight, the center point of that offense anymore. Yeah. Uh I mentioned it last time a little bit too, that Blake Bortles does his best when he has options. 
And when he has these safety valves where he can either hand it off, dump it over the middle to somebody and through and through Leonard Fournette was uh, perfect at that in his rookie season there with Jacksonville in 2017 um, Fournette, the, the Jags don't get as far as they do without his play on offense. We're going to talk a lot about their defense and everything they were able to do on that side of the ball. But if you don't have the offense to back it up, you don't have, uh, a real legitimate shot at success. And Fournette was the engine that made the offense go quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he was a huge, huge player in that Bortles was, a, you know, had his best season of his career up to this point in that 2017 season. Um, but the Jags defense, that was really the, uh, that was the gem in this whole thing. Um, and it all kind of started with Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. Talking about Jalen Ramsey, he was a difference maker on that team that season alone. He had four interceptions and was just a lockdown physical cornerback, which he continues to be to this day. But in this defense, it really, uh, bolstered the team. No one could get downfield past him, And it showed that he knew that he was good in his trash talking, which we'll get to a little bit later. Yeah, there was a lot of it. He had a lot to say to a lot of quarterbacks and receivers, but he was, I mean, still is one of the best lockdown cornerbacks in the game. He had 17 defended passes that season. Uh, The four interceptions, as you mentioned, he's coming off a rookie of the year campaign uh, a year prior. I mean, he was the heart and soul of the Jags defense. He, He, led them nearly to the promised land, which we'll get to in a second here. Just looking at the Jags schedule that year in 2017, um, they didn't like have a super special start to the season. It wasn't bad, but they were four and three going into their bye week in week eight. Um, You know, the most dominant win up to that point was probably a 30 to nine victory over the Steelers on the road Um, The Steelers, who got very sick of seeing Jacksonville that season, we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, But as I mentioned to you before we started recording here, even in that great season, the Jags fumbled one to the Jets and lost in overtime uh, Mm -hmm. week four that year. So there was still definitely some hiccups to start this season. It's not like they just came out of the gate swinging. Yeah, I mean, they had a pretty big win over Houston in week one. But, you know, Houston, as we know, has not been uh good lately for lack of a better term no Um, but even in that first initial stretch of games where they were a little off and on you could see that there was potential there in their victories they you know were winning by typically multiple scores oh they were one against the texans 29 to 7 a week three against the ravens 44 to 7 um, against the Steelers, like you said, 30 to nine. And then against the Colts, 27 to nothing. Dropped a big old goose egg on them. That's how good the defense was. They were capable of holding a fellow NFL team to zero points. Yeah. Um, Across those four wins, the opposing teams scored a whopping 23 points. Now, if you look on the reverse side of that, though, they showed where they had some weaknesses. Uh, where they lost to the Titans, 
they dropped the Titans dropped 37 points. The Jets that they lost to dropped 23. Now, granted, in that game, the point differential was three points. Um, yeah. but still, 23 is a That's, decent amount of points. <laughs> yeah, and then the Rams a few weeks later dropped 27 on them. So there was mm. definitely, you know, it's not like they were this impenetrable defense. There was definitely some holes still. Uh, but I would say after that bye week is where things really picked up and Saxonville really uh, showed their strength. They won three in a row coming off of that bye weeks, uh, a 23 to seven win over Cincinnati, an overtime win against the chargers, and then a 19 to seven win against Cleveland. So over three weeks there, the defense allowed 31 total points to its opponents, uh, which is pretty good for an NFL team. It's not as uncommon to see in college, but when you're playing NFL competition every week, 31 points over three weeks is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and something to take note of after that week five is when they brought in uh, Marcus or excuse me, Marcel Darius. Darius. As well. Yeah. He came over from Buffalo um, and yeah, you can kind of look to that as a turning point too, between that and the week off. I mean, it really mm-hmm. invigorated the Jags and, and really got them rolling. And so they're seven and three as they enter, you know, mid to late November there. And they, they drop one to the Cardinals, uh, a narrow loss, three point loss to the Cardinals, but then they spin off three more wins after that. 30 to 10 win over the Colts. So on the season, they had outscored the Colts in their two games, 57 to 10. Uh, they really had the Colts number that year. Uh, then my beloved Seahawks came to town. I remember that game very well. Uh, it was a frustrating loss for the Seahawks, just a six point uh, margin of victory for Jacksonville there. But what I do remember about that game is the Jags, their defense frustrated the hell out of the Seahawks offense to the point where fights were almost breaking out. It was getting chippy. I don't know if you remember that game. That's the I, game. I do remember that game because we talked about it and you were very upset because you talked about the fact that you're like, this is an embarrassment for both teams. Yeah, it was ugly. Uh, fans were throwing things at some of the Seahawks players. One of the Seahawks players tried to climb into the stands after being ejected from the game. It was an ugly mess all around. And that's exactly what this Jacksonville defense was capable of. Not only could they stat wise shut you down guys like Jalen Ramsey kind of brought that identity of we're going to get under your skin. Uh, We're going to, we're going to make you flustered and boy, it worked against the Seahawks big time. (laughs) Yeah. And you can point to that, that, that under your skin, that flustered, you know, feeling, is one of the reasons that that defense, like you said, was great. Because if you look at, you know, sports throughout time, trash talk is, you know, either you love it or you hate it. And, but you could argue it's an art amongst some of these athletes. Oh yeah. It makes me think of in the NBA, Reggie Miller back in the nineties for the Pacers who could just get under the skin of anybody that Indiana played against. Uh, He had some famous battles with the Knicks back then with that very same mindset, you know, he was just not afraid. And so the Jags did it to perfection. I mean, it was an art, the Seahawks own defense did it back in 2013. So I can appreciate it at the time. I was not a fan when we played them, but uh, 
So then after they beat us, uh, they, they turned around and they smacked Houston to the tune of 45 to seven. And after week 15, the, the once lowly Jacksonville Jaguars were 10 and four, and they were right there uh, on the cusp of their first playoff appearance in 10 years. Yeah. Um, they, they did end up losing their last two games of the season. One I did want to mention with the 49ers, they lost during Jimmy G's freak uh, insane run with the, uh, the Niners at the end of that year. Yeah. Where Jimmy G convinced the Niners to give him a contract that will be a discussion of a different podcast all its own someday, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, and then the last week of the season, they lost the Titans. Third seed in the playoffs. Uh, they opened their playoff run. I don't know if you remember this game. I definitely do because it was kind of a dud of a game, all things considered. But hosting Buffalo in the wild card round, Buffalo, who themselves were ending a playoff drought, a super long playoff drought. Um, mm-hmm. And it was 10 to 3 was the final score. So talk about defense. Yeah. Um, and I do remember that game because, yeah, we were just like, dang, that was kind of boring i mean defensive games can be good but uh yeah anyway yeah so that that game i mean it was a big milestone for the jags franchise uh hosting a playoff game that hadn't happened since the early 2000s and winning a playoff game that hadn't happened since 2007 so not super surprising of a result there. They were favored going into the wild card game, being the home team, being the division champ. That wasn't, I mean, it was a great accomplishment as far as the history uh, goes for the franchise, but I would argue that the crowning jewel of this whole season and this entire Saxonville era, as short as it was, was the playoff win in the divisional round against Pittsburgh a week later. Yeah. Yeah. And going into that game, no one, no one thought Jacksonville would do what they did. I didn't. I mean, I certainly didn't. Uh, They were going into a very hostile playoff environment. Uh, As we know, Pittsburgh is not an easy place to play, especially in the playoffs. Uh, The Steelers back then were not the Steelers we know today. Um, they were Antonio Brown was kind of at his peak. That whole team was primed to maybe be the AFC's representative in the Super Bowl that year. And mm-hmm. Jacksonville went in. I don't exactly know what the spread on them being an underdog was, but they were a double digit underdog. I know that. Um, and Bortles came into that game. And Fournette came into that game. The offense just stayed toe-in-toe with Pittsburgh. It was impressive. Fournette ran for over 100 yards. He had three touchdowns. Uh, Bortles threw for over 200 yards. He had a touchdown in that game, and the defense forced two turnovers, one of which was a uh, touchdown on by their hands, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I think it's important to note in here that Blake Bortles, during this game, while he only had – one touchdown he threw no interceptions he did not give the ball up um and i think what we see here in the terms of jacksonville is when blake bortles you know isn't turning the ball over jacksonville is able to do a lot better 
it means, you know, the Saxonville defense is staying off the field. They're being more rested. But, yeah, Leonard Fournette, I mean, we still see it today. Playoff Lenny is the best Lenny. Um, Like you said, 109 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, and it's not like Pittsburgh even just laid an absolute egg in this game and played horribly. They actually got more first downs than Jacksonville, 28 to 22. Mm-hmm. They had way more passing yards than Jacksonville. As we said, Bortles just had 214. The Steelers with Roethlisberger had 467. Uh, Roethlisberger threw five touchdowns in that game and still lost. Um, the, it was the Jags defense and just their will to not to win. I mean, it just, yeah. that was the peak game of this entire season. The way I look at it, um, you know, they had, they'd blown out the Steelers earlier in the regular season on the road there in Heinz field, but to come into the playoffs and do it again um, with all the pressure of that, when you're making your first playoff run in 10 years, uh, incredible really for yeah. lack of a better term. The Steelers kind of have a bad run with, being the first uh, loss of a team with playoff droughts, don't they? Well, yeah, they, yes, they do. And for a first it, victory for uh, yeah, ask the Browns, but also 10 years prior when David Garrard's Jacksonville Jaguars were playing the Steelers in the wild card round in Pittsburgh, they actually upset them too. So the Steelers do not like when the Jaguars come to town. That's the moral of the story here. Clearly. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> But, and the, yeah, the Jags had zero turnovers that day and that you could point to being the difference maker in a three point game. It was an absolute shootout of a game final score, 45 to 42. Um, and just, a an all around incredible performance, uh, and upset. And at that point, after, after you win the divisional round, you're going to the first AFC championship, uh, in your franchise's history since 2000 two or maybe 2000 um anyway long time 18 years or so and Uh, another i again i want to talk about how crazy this game is you mentioned that antonio brown but don't forget that was at the height of Le'Veon bell's dominancy as at running back yeah uh that 2017 year also notably last year he played for Pittsburgh, he had 1,291 yards. He had nine rushing touchdowns and another two receiving touchdowns. Um, The man was selected to the Pro Bowl and all-team, or first-team All-Pro. And in this game, he was held to 16 rushing attempts and 67 yards one touchdown. Yeah. The Jags defense, not only were they so good at getting to the quarterback, uh, they were very good at shutting down the run too, from some of the league's most prolific running backs, including bell in this game. Um, and so the Steelers threw everything they had at Jacksonville this day, and it didn't matter. Um, it just didn't matter. The Jags were the, they felt to be anyway, the team of destiny, uh, I remember what a weird time it was to have Jacksonville in the AFC championship. It was uh, not what anyone expected going into that season. This was a team that, as we talked about up until this year was not good. You know, even the year before uh, second year head coach, 
rookie running back, all this stuff, like a lot of logic tells you they should not have did what they did. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it was really a Cinderella story. Um, and as we'll talk about in the next episode, the clock did strike midnight and, you know, you know, we see the team kind of turn back into a pumpkin. Yeah. It's uh episode three is if you're a Jags fan listening to this episode three might be a rough one for you um, because it is going to be the beginning of the end. But uh, this is where we're going to end this one. Just immense hope and happiness running rampant through the streets of Jacksonville, Florida, because the Jags are on their way to the AFC championship. One win away from the Super Bowl. Um, spoiler alert, they don't quite make it, but uh, right now, Jags fans revel in the fact uh, that this was the best your team has ever been. And you had some impressive games and some pre- impressive showings throughout, but I think that's going to about do it for episode two, uh, the rise of Saxonville and the peak of Saxonville. Uh, this was a tough team, man. This was a tough team. Yeah. Um, one that, you know, we've seen few of the likes of before. We have, you know, there's a few defenses that have stood out and they have, you know, you can recognize them by name. Saxonville being one of them. You know, you look at the Legion of Boom, the Purple People Eaters, the Iron Curtain. Not just anybody know? gets those nicknames. Uh, for no. For sure. And so, yeah, they were a force to be reckoned with. But anyway... That's all the time we got for this one. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in and listening wherever you listen from, whether it be iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the can on a string. We hope you're enjoying this uh, mini series we have going on about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, It's been fun for us to put together. We hope you guys enjoy listening to it. Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram at the expansion BU one. Give us a follow there. We'd love to hear from you guys there as well. But until next week, until part three, I've been Jared, that's been Justin, and never forget. Party like it's 1976.